0: Well, good morning, everybody. One of the things that happens when you become a mother is you become preoccupied with things that you were never preoccupied with before. Things like bottoms and bathrooms. You don't think that's funny? I think that's hilarious. Uh, and, and it doesn't stop there. You can ask Jess, um, who works with me during the week. One of the things I get really annoyed about is people who don't close the bathroom door. Uh, you know, you walk into the office, op- people who don't put the lid down. People who leave messages there that they should not leave there. You know, those toilet brushes are not there for a decoration. They're there for a purpose. Please use them. Yeah. So you will understand that when given the choice of two Bible passages to look at today, I chose the toilet one. Because I'm obsessed with these things. Did you know that there are two fabulous toilet stories in the Bible? The first one happens in uh, the book of Judges. And in fact, if I was a comedian or if you you want a burgeoning comedy career, I, I challenge you to do this one. Be great in a New York comedy club, but there's a story in Judges where uh, Ehud, the left-handed assassin, goes after King Eglon and it's a fantastic story and it, and it, it requires some crowd, uh, crowd participation. So what happens is uh, Ehud, who's the left-handed assassin, goes in to see King Eglon and they end up going up to his private chamber on the roof, which is Bible code for they went into his bathroom and so no one else is around there. And, um, and the Bible records these words. It says, King Eglon, who was an evil king, he was so fat, which requires everyone to say, how fat was he? <laughs> he was so fat that when uh, Eglon, uh, no, Ehud put the sword, it was a very big sword, into Eglon's body, the fat closed around the blade right up to the hilt of the sword. Doesn't that just sound delicious? And in some translations it says... And the dung came out. (laughs) It's a fabulous story. But that's not the one we're going to look at today. We're going to look at another one. (laughs) (laughs) So a very messy story. But before we get there, um, why am I talking about the bathroom story? You know, we're, the, I titled this Make Your Mama Proud and I was thinking about it because, you know, when it comes to mums and toilets and things like that, we get so proud of our kids, you know, oh, well done, you've been to the toilet, well done, you've turned the lid down. These are not the most important things to make your mom, mother proud but I do want to talk about our hearts because as we go on as mothers, we re, you know, you realise that what goes into shaping a person's life, there's a lot of things. But what makes me so proud of my own children, but of people around me, is when I see their hearts. And and so that's what we want to look at today. A heart is like an iceberg. Often we just see the top part of it. We don't really understand what goes on beneath the surface. And I was thinking about this during the week. Um, We had our Elevate group, and our conversation tends to revolve around our hearts and and there are those moments where we look at each other and it's like you go, oh, I get what's going on inside my heart. There's this light shines in and we see more about who God is calling us to be and enabling us to be. So I'd love you to get out your Elevate uh, app if you have it and you can look up the Bible passage that we're going to look at. i brought my Bible with me this morning uh, simply because sometimes when we use our phones all the time or iPads, Sometimes I just like to pull my Bible out and remind myself that we, we're not talking just off the top of our heads or great stories, but when we teach here at Elevate, we're really standing on the Word of God. So this story doesn't just come from your phone or from the Elevate app, as good as that is. It actually comes from uh, 1 Samuel 24, just, to, just a reminder. Now also before we get there, I want to say quite clearly that this is not a morality tale. Often when we read these stories about particular characters, we go, well, he was good and he was bad, and so let's choose to be the good people. Well, we can talk about that in Sunday school because that's how we speak to children, to help them to learn. But as adults, I want to encourage us to think a little bit more deeply this morning than just a morality tale. There's a really, uh, as we get to this story, and it's in the early days of Israel, where the first king, first King Saul, Before Israel ever had a king, I want to remind us that it was never God's intention that his people would need a human king, because God is our king. Christ is our king. We don't need anyone between us and our king. But the people were looking around at everybody else, at all the other nations, the sin of comparison, I call it, and it never leads to anywhere good. And the indictment at the end of Judges, before we get into the book of Kings, is this, that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Yeah. Now you could look around today and say the same of us, couldn't you, or our world. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, and that never leads anywhere good either. So that's behind the story. All right, so on to today's bathroom break <laughs> in 1 Samuel 24. This is a classically good story, so excited. When uh, when God so when the people complained and said to God we want a king God said okay I'll give you a king uh, Beware he's not gonna this is not gonna turn out good for you but I'll still I'll still do as you ask and I'll give you a king He chose king He chose the man named Saul and Saul had so much potential but what we see through his life is that even though he had so much potential and even though he was called by God and God changed his heart his character flaws overran his life and he became arrogant to the point of assuming that he didn't need God as his king, that he was the king and therefore he became self-interested. He, was gonna, uh, that he assumed that he could build his own dynasty and not do as God asked him to do. And so uh, Samuel, the prophet, is called to anoint a new king. So while Saul is still king, Samuel goes out into the fields one day and finds a man, a boy called David, and anoints him to be king. Now Saul is very clever. If you're a politician, this is lesson 101 on what to do. you know, keep your friends close and get your enemies closer. He brings David into his, uh, into his kingdom. Not only does he do that, he gives him his daughter, so he marries him into his own family, keeps him really close. It's all about power and control and manipulating situations to keep them close. But then as David becomes the favourite of the people, there is something about David that is quite charismatic and the contrast between Saul and the upcoming king David becomes such that Saul gets jealous and sets out to kill David. David. So David becomes like Robin Hood and his merry men. Uh, he, runs in, he runs away from the palace to get away from Saul. And there's around about between three and 600 people who gather around him, or men actually. What we need to understand is in the times, and those of you into Games of Thrones and those kinds of shows, you'll understand the violence of the ancient world. In some ways, it's not so different to today either. But uh, not only was David in danger, but everyone David loved, David's family was in danger, and all those who sided with David, their families were also involved. And we don't often think about those things when we're reading the Bible, but just imagine all the people that are involved because one king is jealous and tries to control the world because he's doing what's right in his own eyes. So we get this mess, the jealousy, insecurity, and rage, and murder, and anger, Let's look at the narrative in 1 Samuel 24. Then Saul took 3,000. Sorry, let me go a bit. bit sorry, a little bit before this story. Uh, what happens is David's, um, David went to hide in the cave in the um, mountains around in Gedi. Saul chases after him, and we pick up the narrative. Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. This is in the mountains. And he came to a sheepfold by the way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. If you Google in the caves, they're actually huge, huge places. So you can understand that all this action takes place in a really big cave. David and his men are hiding out and along comes Saul to go to the toilet. I love this picture. Take a look at this. This is medieval religious art at its best, isn't it? Just, cl- that's like 8th century or something, classically good. There's uh, David with the sword. Anyway, um, here's the thing all this action in the cave takes place in the dark. Deep, dark cave. And I think this is important when we're thinking about our hearts. Because the action we're going to think about today takes place in the deep, dark parts of our heart. So Saul goes into the cave and he's caught in an unguarded moment. (laughs) No one else would have gone in with him. So here he is on his own. And what do we see in his heart? Well, we've already seen it. There's anger and there's murder and there's jealousy and there's hatred It strikes me that we could just look at this and go, well, that's what we see in King Saul. There's nothing good about him. This is the person we don't want to be. In the dark, his heart is revealed. We already know about that. We don't want to be like him. But you know, I was thinking, there's one good thing about Saul, and that is he lived with passion. He lived with passion. It was passion that became perverted by his own agenda. You know, in passion, when you you put it to your own purpose, it goes into all kinds of places that probably Saul never intended it to go. He didn't start out as a bad person. He didn't start out wanting to murder someone. But passion is really powerful and we need God's help to live with passion. But I want to say to you today, for God's sake, will we live with passion? If we can get something from Saul, let's live with passion. Because the world is filled with people who are just living ordinary lives. When God called Saul, the Bible says it, he, The God changed his heart. And I can't help but wondering if one of the things that God did to Saul was he gave him passion. It was a gift. But when Saul decided to do what was right in his own eyes, the passion went to all kinds of places that Saul never intended. So if there's something good to, you know, we can look at souls, at least he lived with passion. And how are we doing? Are we living with passion for Christ? Because he changes our hearts. He gives us a passion to live. If you've got passion, stay close to God because otherwise you may go to places that you never intended to go. You know, if you want to make your mama proud, (laughs) live well. But more importantly, make Christ proud by living well. Great. The next group of people I want to look at, so here's Saul in the cave doing his thing. Uh, in the back of the cave, and I don't get how this works, this, this story totally fascinates me because they must have been whispering, like 300 men in a cave with David and they're having a conversation. Just the timing of this thing is really, really interesting to think about. Anyway, so here's this group of, I'm going to call them the merry men. What do we see about the merry men, their hearts? Well, they get really excited because they're going, David, this is the opportunity. God said you were going to be king, and now you have the opportunity. The men said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, because the Lord had promised David he was going to be king. Behold, I will give you your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. In other words, here's your chance. He's, he's doing the squat. There's no one around. He's, gotten, he's completely unarmed. Now's the chance to get rid of the problem. Saul is a bad king. God has called you. You're going to be a great king and everyone will follow you. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? Do you find times in life where God says something and the opportunity is there and you go, let's go for it? But here's the thing. Is it an opportunity just to go for it? Because when I thought about this, I thought, what is, what is being revealed about the hearts of the merry men here? Well, they just took an opportunity and were going to run with it. They were still, in a sense, doing what was right in their own eyes. They made an assumption They made an assumption that this opportunity was an opportunity to kill someone because it looked like this is what God had said. They forgot to do one simple thing, and that it was to check in with God. God, you said you were going to deliver Saul, but is is this the time? Is this the way? Is this the means? You know how often we just see a situation, we jump in and we think, oh, God's going to bless this, God's going to fix, you know, because we're just jumping in instead of taking a breath and going, okay, is, is God really speaking right now? You know, this week I was working with a pastor who was in a really difficult situation, really difficult. And he got advice from me and from a couple of other people who says, you've got to act and you've got to act now and you need to do it this way. This is the kindest thing to do. And yet he kept saying, I'm not sure. And and I was getting a bit annoyed going, come on, man, you know what to do. Just go and do this. You have to make this decision and he went, I, I, just need to, I just need to consider this. Is this really what God wants me to do? And to his credit, he persevered and he prayed. And God brought a different ending to this week than, than any of us had imagined. Yeah. There's wisdom there in taking a breath and going, this looks like an opportunity. And even in an opportunity, God, what are you doing here? What, is, what do you want me to do? Yeah, Otherwise, we run the risk of doing what is right <laughs> in our own eyes. It's the default of our heart, isn't it? Doing what is right in our own eyes. All right, let's look at what's, what's in David's heart in the dark. So David, like all of us, is faced with a temptation to get over, get over, you know, here's this guy, he's running after him, not only wanting to kill him. But, you know, you understand, it, Saul would have started with David, but then he would have gone after his family. Everyone that David was connected to would have been killed by Saul. So David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe and afterwards David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand out against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. So here's some insights about David's heart. First of all, David didn't cave in to peer pressure. That's my one mum joke today. <laughs> didn't deliver it. David didn't cave into peer pressure. There you go. Here's, not, here's a second version of that. <laughs> David didn't cave in to doing what was right in his own eyes. If God was giving him an opportunity to demonstrate what was in his heart, you know, sometimes the obvious thing is actually God's giving us an opportunity to actually show us, to show us what's in our heart. I think God knows what's in our heart, but often we don't see it. So these things are an opportunity for God to say, see what's actually in your heart, see what actually your default is here. So in this case, God gave David the opportunity for David to see what was really in David's heart and David passes the test. Well, sort of, because he doesn't kill Saul, but what he does do is he humiliates him. And we might go, well, that's better than killing him. (laughs) Well, yeah, it is. But you see how the interesting thing is that David's conscience then kicks in and he goes, even though he didn't kill Saul, he still humiliated him. Because Saul walked out, and to his horror, realised that you know he, he he almost lost his life. Here's the other thing I wondered about. I wondered how long it took David this whole conversation in the cave. You remember I said timing's a thing. You think about Saul walking into the cave, the merry men in there somewhere, and I think even this like it would have echoed. How did they even do this conversation? But Saul walking in, and I'm thinking, how long does it take to do whatever? Saul was doing (laughs) so all this you know this sequence of things happens in a relatively someone needs to do some research on that (laughs) how long did it take well probably not enough for for David to have thought through all the consequences of what would have happened if he had have killed Saul This is the genius of this story. See, this is why God records these bizarre things because when you're in the moment, you don't have time to consider all the long-term consequences. You just act. And so this is why we're saying, this is God giving us an opportunity to see what's in our heart. But the consequences might have been, you know, most likely David would have been proclaimed king then and there once Saul had been killed. But actually the risk was, there's some risks attached. If David had killed Saul then he would have been just like every other king around, a king to be feared and not a king to be loved. He actually risked more rebellion and and bloodshed because those who were supporters of Saul could still have rebelled against David and there would have been a massive civil war. And really, do you want to become a king by taking advantage of an unarmed man in an unguarded moment? You know how easy it would have been for David to have just stuck the knife in? But he would forever have been the man who killed an unguarded king in an unguarded moment. He would have had to have watched his back for the rest of his life. What David got to do, what David got to do was this. He got to come out into the light with Saul. So Saul leaves the cave and he's going down the mountain towards his men and then David comes out of the cave. This is a real risk at this point. You know, David and his merry men, if they'd been smart, they would have stayed in the cave and let Saul go away somewhere else. But David took the risk to come out in the light. Now, there's 3,000 men down there. They could have all raced up the mountain, overrun the guys in the cave, and it would have been the end of David and his men. But he took the risk. Why did he take the risk? Because he trusted in God. If God said, I'm going to make you king, God was going to do that. you trust what God says to you? Do I trust what God says to me? No, sometimes I don't. I want to do what's right in my own eyes and manage the situation and control it because I don't actually trust God. These these situations also give us the opportunity to say, do I really trust God? Do I really believe what God has said to me? So David comes out into the sunshine and he calls out Saul and Saul realises that he's had his robe cut off and he's been humiliated. But David apologises and honours him as the king. This is one of the most powerful lessons, I think, in the Bible. That no matter who the king is, there is something about honouring those whom God has put into leadership and trusting God and acting the way God wants us to act. When you think about how we criticise leaders and how we pull them down and things like that, you know, learning how to speak the truth but speak it out of a different kind of heart, a heart full of respect. It's a big lesson, and there's lots more we could talk about in that that I can't talk about today. But he he demonstrates appropriate regard for people and trust in God. You know, he sets an example because when he is king, he will want people to treat him the way that he treated Saul. You want people to treat you uh, in a certain way, then we treat others. You know, the Bible's genius on this stuff, isn't it? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And Saul, see, Saul can't fight against that. David won respect of everybody that day. Because which king do you want to follow, really? You want to follow the one you're afraid of or the one that you can respect? Right. Yeah. And follow the one I'm going to respect. So there didn't need to be any bloodshed that day because long-term, they were, they were all going to follow David. So remember, this is not just a morality tale. This is not just about good king, bad king, or people jumping quickly. But it's understanding that David was free. There's a freedom in his heart to act differently because he chose to trust in God. You know, the reputation of David's life is that he was a man after God's own heart. It's a pretty good way to end your life, isn't it? To be known as the man or the woman uh, of God's own heart. Saul, on the other hand, controlled his life right to the very end. He's the king who fell on his own sword. He even tried to control his own death. How sad is that? Yeah. How sad is that? Jeremiah 17:9 says this: "The heart is more deceitful than anything. It is incurable. Who can know it? This is really tough news for a Mother's Day. <laughs> the Lord spoke to me in January this year, and it was a really clear message. And the message was this, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. In the words of Isaiah and the words of John the Baptist. And I said to God, what does this mean? And the message was for a few people, but it was for me, first of all, because God said to me, there are crooked ways in your heart that you can't see. You want to be a person who's living for me, then I need you to pay attention to some of the things that you can't see in your heart. Allow me to help you straighten out the paths in your own heart so that you can help other people to follow me. Today is a challenge for you. Those of us who know Jesus, you know, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. You want to live the kind of life, the free to enjoy the freedom to know that in the moment, the default of your heart is not to do what's right in your own eyes, but actually to trust God and do what he says and trust his help. You know, we have the Holy Spirit. We have God living with us all of the time. But God's work sometimes is pulled off course because my crooked ways, I, do, I want to do what's right in my own eyes. I want to manage some things. And the opportunity we have today is to make God proud and to be the kind of people who have freedom to act differently in surprising ways that actually result in life for everybody and not death. A, I want to share with you a piece of wisdom from a 12-year-old boy. This was on the whiteboard of one of my staff this week. This makes his mama proud. Looks will fade away, but a heart will stay the same here and in heaven. So add God to your heart. That's a piece of profound wisdom right there. <laughs> we have an opportunity for God to shape our heart here on earth, but the heart is a part of us that will live forever. Add God to your heart, add life to our heart, add freedom to your heart. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for this story. It's just full of so many rich details and we could preach for a year on this one. (laughs) But Lord, I thank you that we're not held captive by doing what is right in our own eyes. Lord, would you give us a taste today to live in freedom? Yes. A taste today to trust you, yep. a, tra- a taste for the kind of life that is good for us but good for everybody else around us. Lord, would you give us the courage to ask you to help us to see what the default motives in our own heart is, and the courage to ask you to help us to live differently? And thank you that you do give us the power. And the knowledge and the insight uh, to live, not not out of our own effort, but because you help us, because you want to shape our hearts. You want to give us the kind of character that is good for us and, and good for everybody. And so, Father, I pray that as we think about this story, as we visit the bathroom many times this week, <laughs> you'll give us occasion to think about, God, what are you saying to my heart And I pray that we would have the courage to do what it is that you're telling us, the ears to hear what you're saying to us by the power and the person and the presence of your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.